This is Eric Luby, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time, and to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person, or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn. So this one uh, is called The Oscar Moment. Uh, I am not a guy that follows cultural trends. I do not Google to see what is going on in the world. I don't actually want to be distracted by that. If I could Google something, I'd say, what's going on in the kingdom of heaven? Usually Google doesn't give me a good answer to that. In other words, I'm interested in being attuned to what is happening in this earth, what the Holy Spirit is desiring, and I want to walk in stride with that. And I think that's a good mindset for any believer. However, there is noise. There is a lot of activity that comes out there. There's a lot of news services that want to feed us uh, all the latest. And so uh, for those of you that know what happened last Sunday and throughout this week, then my title is sort of a giveaway that Eric somehow is tuned in to something. And I am. It's funny. I have this uh, this one program which uh, is sensitive to emails that my kids will get to flag them if there's uh, you know nature. It's something in the nature of them that it could be alarming or could be uh, dangerous. And so uh, it's funny because uh, Hudson always has his flag for violence. Uh, he has violent uh, emails that come in, and it's funny because they're usually my sermons uh, that are flagged. <laughs> Leslie's podcast, or uh, Living Waters, uh, their emails from Ray Comfort. Those are the ones. And that was one that came in. It was flagged. It was dangerous. It was the slap heard around the world. And that's the, that's the first time I heard about what happened at the Academy Awards uh, last Friday. I didn't watch it. I just saw this uh, flagged email uh, of violence uh, that was taking place. And so I watched the very first seconds of the Ray Comfort video, and so I saw it. That's how I, I actually know what happened. And it created a unique tension inside of me to see it. And I don't know how you responded, and I haven't uh, gone out and tried to get the, uh, the culture's take on it. However, I did have something pop up on my screen that basically said, you know, something like, Will Smith is finished, you know, his good guy image is destroyed. So I at least have that as to fill in the gaps, right? That obviously whatever happened did not translate well into our culture. And yet there is something happening there that I wanted to circle. And since many of us here are either very familiar or semi-familiar, some of you may not be familiar uh, with what happened And I really am not wanting to talk about what happened at the Academy Awards last Sunday, to be honest. It really doesn't make a big difference in my life. However, it caught me in a unique way, and it drew something to the surface that I think needs to be drawn to the surface in all of our lives, okay? And that's what I would like to cover. And I'm calling it the Oscar moment, and you could say, boy, Eric, you're milking that whole Academy Award thing. Maybe, but I could have had a lot Uh, I had some other names that would have milked it a lot more than that. Let me just put it that way. So we're going to call this the Will Smith moment, okay? All of us have these moments, and he had his. And many of us 
could cluck our tongue at someone else and how they handle their moment, when in actuality, we are vulnerable to mishandling our moments as well. These moments that we get in our life are actually very valuable. It's sort of like you're being handed a treasure. However, you can very easily, if you're not expecting to be handed that treasure, dump it overboard and lose it. And so a moment is not a bad thing. A moment is actually a really good thing. Sort of like if I were to use the word test, a test has the potential to be something you could get excited about because it can prove what you know, what you have already stowed inside of you. But that same test can reveal that you weren't ready for it. So the Will Smith moment. Uh, I have four different um, pictures here that I'm going to walk through. And this is picture number one. Do you have that, HUD, picture number one? Okay. So what you see, uh, Chris Rock is the one that is facing the screen, facing us. And Chris Rock has just delivered a joke as a comedian that is distasteful, okay? It was inappropriate. It was about Will Smith's wife. And uh, I think most people would probably agree, yeah, that was over the line. That was probably unacceptable. That wasn't good humor. And it's hard being a comedian, I, I, I bet. And so it's not very easy to know always where that line is. And so, you know, if you're, if you're a comedian, you know, my, my sympathies uh, to you. If you're not, then we, it's easy for us to, you know, get mad at them as well. However, it was an inappropriate one, and I think most people would agree. Will Smith now is going to do something that I'm going to say is actually rather noble. He is going to stand up. Because something inappropriate has taken place, and he's standing up, and you can see it right there. It's action, action of the soul. That's good. That's good. And now there's a confrontation. This is uh, two. And uh, there's a confrontation, and in this moment, nothing has actually happened. And many of us have been in this exact situation right here, where you actually have not done something that you regret, but you are right on the edge of doing something you regret. And this is a very, very powerful moment in our lives that I, if I could circle it, I would for you. And I'd say right here, because there are a lot of different options of what he could have done. And they could actually have greatly impacted the culture and could have actually caused all of us to applaud and to say, wow, that is amazing, okay? However, he chose to slap. I think that's what it's called. It wasn't hit, it was slap, I think is the official description of it, which I wasn't close enough, I wasn't there, I, I don't know exactly how it happened, but it was definitely some kind of strike. Oops. You see, this is where he had an opportunity but then dumped it overboard. I think most of us in here would agree that even though his willingness to rise up and defend his wife was noble, there was something wrong. There was something that tainted his actions, and there it is. Now, this picture, this fourth picture, is a moment we're also familiar with. It's after <laughs> the incident. It's that moment right after where you cannot rewind. Have you ever had that moment too, where you wish you could go back in time and just a few slides earlier and redo? And this desire to redo is what I want to again circle. I want to say, if you desire a different outcome in your life, what can we do right now to prepare for this moment better? 
Because an Oscar moment isn't necessarily something that is announced to you. It's like, by the way, Will Smith, Chris Rock is about to say something offensive about your wife. I want you to ponder how you should respond. You see, you don't always get that. In fact, I can't even think of an opportunity when that usually happens, right? It usually catches you and it tests you, and it's going to find out what is already there. If it's not already there, you're in trouble. If it is already there, actually something grand could happen. Imagine Will Smith rises up. That was inappropriate. He just you know, he put down my wife, okay, publicly at a worldwide event. This is inappropriate. And he gets up and he walks up to Chris Rock and borrows Chris Rock's microphone and says something akin to, look, you know, there's part of me that really wants to just hit you right now for what you just said about my wife because it's just inappropriate. I'm not going to do that. But I do want to appeal to you. When you use your humor, use it in an honoring way. Please never speak about my wife that way again. And then he goes and sits down. Now, you could sort of evaluate how the world would have responded to that. It would have been jarring to see an actor walk up, but then an actor restrain himself and to show decency and honor, but still stand for truth, would have been a unique magical moment. And that's what I sort of want to lead us towards, to say we are all designed to showcase Christ when the Oscar moment comes. Very few of us are usually ready to truly take advantage of these moments in our life. So we're calling it the Oscar moment. There's a lot of different names you could have, and I'll go through some different scriptural moments that will show you that these are very real in our life. So the first one is the guards in the garden moment. Uh, Do you remember... Jesus says to Peter, James, and John, watch with me. See, he knows that an Oscar moment is on the horizon. However, they don't truly see it. It's the same way we are. You know, he'll even say to us, it's all throughout the scripture, he'll basically say, watch with me. I want you to stay watchful. I want you to be aware. I, I, you know, you've got an enemy that's prowling about like a roaring lion. You need to be watchful. You need to be vigilant of soul. Right? And we get the same words from Christ, right? In the text of Scripture, it's there for us. And so Peter knows what he ought to do, but wow, are those eyelids heavy. And so he falls asleep and then is uh, you know, adrenalized and wide awake all of a sudden as the guards show up in the garden. And what does he do? You see, he responds, he, he stands up out of his seat, which you have to acknowledge is a good thing. You see, everyone else is like running away. At least Peter does something, right? But what he does is a result of his being asleep. You see, he is slumberous, he is tired, and so he responds in what we could call the flesh instead of in accordance with what Christ would desire of him in that moment. And so he blows the moment. He slaps Chris Rock Instead of doing, and you could say, what was he supposed to do? <laughs> I, I don't know that that is detailed in the scripture. We could always use our imagination, sort of like we could with Will Smith. What could he have done that would have been better? Because if, if Will Smith just stays seated and laughs, then he could be criticized for that. If he gets up and slaps, well, he's going to get criticized for that. What does the guy do? It is sort of an impossible situation, and that's where we live. We live in that zone where we must act 
but we must act like Christ. Wow, how do you do this? Well, you could start with the premise that you can't. You will fail in these moments unless you have something from heaven deposited inside of you. You have to be prepared by the Holy Spirit and then in that moment yield to the Holy Spirit so that what comes out of you is the result of the Holy Spirit and not a result of you. So in the garden, uh, John 18, 10, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. We know the story, but what's interesting is we know that Peter blew it. What's interesting is the same tension when we see this story is sort of the, probably the same tension you may have in seeing Will Smith in that situation because there was something right about it and something very wrong about it. And it's a tension inside of us because we don't have a lot of manliness in our culture, men that stand up for their women, right? It's like, hey, that's good. Well, that's good. That's sort of good. Uh, wait a minute. I'm not exactly sure what to do with that. In other words, it's part right and then really wrong. You see, Peter is wrong in his action, but his action, the fact that he's willing to act and stand up for Christ, you have to acknowledge that's better than most people. Peter's famous for doing those types of things, right? Sort of the jumping out of the boat. No one else does. He does. He's willing to act. It's just that his actions oftentimes aren't you know, you know, fully spirit-enabled. And so he ends up being the doofus in the story as opposed to us recognizing, but he did do something right. He's a man of action, and that's very important. So how about the bridegroom arrives moment? Jesus himself is going to give that parable of the ten virgins, and there's going to be five of them that are actually ready when the moment comes. And there's also five that do not have readiness. They do not have oil in their lamp, and so they're out scampering about looking for oil at the very moment that they are supposed to have it. So Matthew 25, 11 through 13. Afterward, the other virgins came also. So the five virgins that had oil, well, they, they come in and to the, the wedding party, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. See, those Oscar moments come when you don't expect them, which is why you want to have your store of oil in place always. You don't just say, oh, I sense that something is changing in the world. I better get my oil. You just always want to have your oil because it's very easy. The bridegroom oftentimes delays a little longer than you would have guessed. And so as a result, you want to have your store now, not delay in getting it. The rich young ruler moment. This guy has a golden opportunity. What is Jesus going to say? Follow me. He's going to be invited to follow the Christ. You know how many of us would dream of such a moment? And he is not going to be ready for the moment. I, you know, there's probably a lot. Well, I shouldn't just say probably. There are a ton of sermons given on the rich young ruler. And yet the unreadiness aspect of the rich young ruler is a fascinating angle to look at it from. Because in his mind, he is desirous to, to serve, to, to love God, to give to God. However, there is some impediment in his life that the Spirit of God has not yet been able to touch. 
And as a result, in his Oscar moment, he's literally on the screen. All of us throughout history lean in to see what he's going to do. He gets up out of his seat, and he's like, I'm ready to follow. And then he blows it. And, you know, in, if not 99.99999% of all sermons given on the rich young ruler, he comes out looking like a bozo. Okay, it's not a compliment to him. And yet his action in the beginning is actually correct. He desires to follow. He desires to please God. Why would that be deemed a bozo activity? And yet he was not ready for the moment. Matthew 19, 21 through 22, Jesus said to him, speaking of to this rich young man, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Whoa, great moment. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. There was something that was blockading his ability to move forward. That's what we don't want. We don't want, God knows that there are things in your life that are blockading your forward progression, but he'd like to deal with them now, as opposed to in the moment when all the cameras zoom in on you and the microphone's in front of your face and God says, okay, here's your moment. This is actually how we prepare for the moment right here, is by humbling ourselves and recognizing, I think I got some weak stuff going on in here. I think I am a little like the rich young ruler. I think I'm a little like Ananias and Sapphira. I think I identify with Peter. I'm really slumberous. And it's okay to recognize that. God has tremendous mercy. But the reason you are hearing these things, the reason you're being convicted by these things isn't to justify remaining where you're at. I feel like I'm one of the virgins without oil in my lamp. Okay, if you sense that, what should you do? How about you go out and procure oil for your lamp? The Goliath moment. You see, there's also moments in history and in, in the scriptural accounts that are going to demonstrate proper response to. In other words, David is readied for his moment when the cameras zoom in. It's amazing because almost all of David's life is going up to this point is going to be in secret. And yet what took place in secret with lions and bears and his decisions of how he cared for his flock are suddenly going to become very, very significant when it comes to a public moment. His Oscar moment isn't something he knew was going to happen. In fact, it was probably one of the lowest moments in his life, if you were to analyze the story. Because he is possibly one of the greatest warriors in all of Israel. All of his brothers are at this battle. In fact, every guy that matters in the country is at this battle, and he is tending to his sheep again. This man has been anointed as king of Israel, and no one seems to acknowledge it. He has a calling, and he could be very frustrated. And even when Jesse calls him in, his father calls him in, you could just imagine that David might be thinking, he's going to send me to the battle. I get to go. Oh, he gets to go all right, delivering bread and cheese. That's humiliating for a great warrior. And yet this man, for whatever reason, is not disturbed by those things maybe the way we would. He seems to have a sense of a purpose, and he doesn't seem disturbed. He does it. He does his job of delivering bread and cheese, but he's being brought into his Oscar moment. All of this preparation for him was for this day. And as a result, throughout history, we all look at David and say, I want to respond like that. 
when I see Goliath barking in the valley of Elah, I want to have the same thing stirring inside of me. Is there not a cause? 1 Samuel 17, 32. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. But most of us would agree that David was governed by the Spirit of God in his actions. Yes, he was going to come up and slap the Philistine, but it was the right sort of slap. In this situation, everyone that was on looking is going to go, yes, amen. This is what was needed. The Phineas moment. Now, I, I originally called it the Midianitish moment, but then when I do that, that's so obscure. But the Phineas moment is maybe not the best name for it either, but it, it could be. Israel is under judgment at this time. Not altogether different than maybe what we are going through now, where you, you see a culture that has every reason to be judged for knowing truth and yet spurning it. The Israelites are taking in foreigners and foreign gods into their midst and judgment is upon them. And so there are God-fearing Jews at this exact moment that are weeping uh, before the altar, just saying, God, forgive us. Please don't judge us. Remove this judgment from us. But this, this one man from Israel brings this Midianitish woman right in front of everyone and brings her into his tent, just totally mocking all of what God represents, all of what God has done in this nation. And Phineas is going to do something about it. You see, and what's interesting is Phineas is going to not just stand up, not just move forward, but he's going to deal with the problem. I'm not going to, this is a uh, more of a GPG rated uh, message, so I won't go into that particular scene, but it's uh, <clears throat> rather intense. Now when Phineas, this is in Numbers 25, now when Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. Skip. He deals with those uh, people. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. So in David and in Phinehas, you're going to see someone rise up, obey and step forward and do the right thing. Now, ironically, in both of those situations, it involved somewhat of a slap, Right. And so that's why it's interesting in seeing a, the Will Smith moment where you recognize, and just like the Peter moment, in both those, they stood up and they slapped. And yet in both of those situations, it was wrong. You see, that's the difference between doing something in your own flesh and doing something in agreement with the Holy Spirit. For all of us, we're rather familiar when we function in the flesh. And yet, some of us might not be as familiar as we should be with knowing what it's like to heed the Spirit of God. And so, one of the classic illustrations of that is being a parent groomed by the Proverbs and knowing that your job is to discipline your kids and, you know, do not spare the rod, you know? Yeah. And so, you don't spare the rod, and even in your mind, you might be a little more aggressive and a little harsher than you probably should, and you feel a little, you know, uh, conviction as you do it. But then you sort of cover that up and salve that over by saying, but I'm obeying the scriptures. Well, you could, that's the same thing. You could do something right and do it wrong. It's very easy to do something right and do it wrong, which is why then some of us justify, well, I'm just not going to do anything. Both are equal in their wrongness. 
to do nothing is wrong and to do something right wrong, they're both wrong. And that's the paralysis many of us are staring at this morning. But Lord, I feel my propensity to do this wrong is very high. You would be right. Welcome to humanity. We have a problem. And that is that we can't do anything right. We are unrighteous in this bearing. Something is off kilter. We are controlled by a faction that is setting us on the wrong course. So even our good deeds are like filthy rags before the throne of grace. Apart from God, we cannot do this. So what's the good of a message like this if all we do is conclude that, well, you can't do it right anyways. You must do something. But if you do something, you better do it right. But you can't. Well, that would be depressing. There is the gospel that covers that middle ground. And that is that you have not been given a commission to reflect the kingdom of heaven and to reveal the kingdom of heaven without also being given the power to do it. However, most of us do not understand how to appropriate that power. We may know it's there, just like we may know that we have a sword that can slice and dice through the enemy at any time, but we don't understand how to pick it up and to swing it. And that's part of what that readiness is. The readiness in our soul to actually respond to our Oscar moment and to do something different. Because many of us have had Oscar moments in our life. We already have had a lot of opportunities where the cameras zoom in and the microphone's on us. And we sort of want to forget those things. It's just like, that doesn't count, right? That, that, that wasn't really the Oscar moment. Could, isn't there another Oscar moment ahead? The good thing about the kingdom of heaven is it's sort of like, God always gives us the opportunity for a redo. As long as we have breath, there's an opportunity for a redo. And so, and that, that's encouraging. It's called mercy. And, but we don't know when that last breath comes. So therefore, you never want to presume upon another breath. You want to just take the breath you have now and spend it wisely. Okay, I have breath right now. What can I do? If I know that I blew my last Oscar moment, what should I do? I should repent of that and say, Lord Jesus, prepare me for my next one. I want oil in my lamp right now. If you read the story of the five virgins and you stare at the fact that five didn't have oil and you just shrug your shoulders, that's criminal activity in your soul. You have been given grace to see a need. The reason you're even convicted in your soul when you hear about the rich young ruler is not because God wants to make you feel bad. It's because he wants to trigger something in you to ready you for an Oscar moment so that you can follow him, so that riches would not hinder you from coming after him. The reason Ananias and Sapphira makes us very uncomfortable as the body of Christ is because God wants to be like a heat-seeking missile into the depths of our being to say, uh-huh, I see that duplicity in you too. Oh, God, I don't strike me dead. He's like, I don't plan to. I intend to make you live. However, you have to heed me right now. You see, we are all being prepped for moments so this world can see something different. God has his camera system. He's like, hey, bring in the crew. This is all, he's readying us to showcase his life to a lost and dying world. We have to agree with the process. The Shanahan phone call moment. So this is, I know some of you are like, I don't remember that in scripture. Uh, okay, this is an Eric Ludi of it. I unfortunately have to share some of my stuff. Uh, and because I, 
I really identify with Will Smith. It's, it's strange. I've never done that, right? And I'm not a violent guy. I don't slap people, right? However, I identify with it. I know what it's like to move forward with a righteous indignation and do something that was not righteous. Oh, it's frustrating. But God, do you see my intent? Do you see my motive? Oh, yeah, I do. But I really want to polish the finishing touches, Eric. Something is wrong. Something's right and something's wrong all at the same time. And I could just say, God, can you just focus on the right? Look, I, I stood up and I did something here. I could, but that's not how it works, Eric. We need the full package. You see, the revelation of me comes by you yielding to my spirit and not allowing the flesh to take hold of you in the process. So Leslie and I, if you've ever read the book, Wrestling Prayer, Leslie and I had a long season of our life where we dedicated ourselves to a very ambitious prayer life. And we thought, if God responds to prayer, then let's take that seriously and let's actually pray. And we did. We were averaging at least three hours a day for a long stretch of our life. And it was a very, very powerful time. Ellerslie comes out of it. Now, we saw the power of God revealed in and through this. So in the midst of this, we have uh, two young kids at the time, and it was Hudson, a little miniature Hudson, and a little miniature Harper. And Leslie was taking them down to meet their grandparents down in Texas. And so uh, we had had this routine of prayer in the morning, prayer at night, and very rich, very powerful, very disciplined life. And so Leslie uh, leaves to go down to Texas, and... I have this like week or two weeks where I can get things done. You know, when you have little kids, sometimes you struggle and I'm used to getting things done, but now I have kids. And so I've been sort of hindered and I have this building list. You know, it's some of it's honeydew stuff. Some of it's just like Eric do stuff. It's like, Hey, I must get this done. And so it's interesting, but in this week or two week period, which I don't remember how long it was, there were a couple of factors taking place in my life at this time. One was I used to always work out like every day. In fact, whole seasons of my life, I worked out for two times a day. I mean, so being in shape has always been a part of my life. Having young kids and exercise, I couldn't figure it out because I felt like I would be abandoning my family at this stage. And so I hadn't figured that out. So I was actually out of shape compared to what I would expect to be in, right? So I felt lethargic. I was, you know, I, I was really craving getting back into shape, but I, I knew that that was happening. And in this week or two, I found that, you know, I, I was so thrilled by getting things done and checking things off my list that I, I lost my, my form, if you could say it that way, for prayer in the day. I was still praying, but I lost the intensity and the focus and so I was getting sort of sloppy. And I was, instead of getting to bed at a disciplined time now, I was getting to bed in the middle of the night because I had more thing. I was in a, I was in a groove. And this one night, I was extremely exhausted. And I remember laying in bed and I felt like my head was getting sucked into the pillow. I was so tired. And I had this thought go through my head that wouldn't this be the night that God asked me to stay up and pray? I don't know. You never want to have thoughts like that. And... The next thing you know, I actually feel like God's saying, could you stay up, Eric? And I, I could not physically do it. I, and I even remember rebuking the, the voice as if it had to be from Satan. Okay, there's no way God would ask me to, he knows how tired I am. And so I went to sleep. And that night I have a dream. Now, you have to have a little background on Eric Ludi to appreciate the dream, right? I... I was always really good at catching footballs. 
strange skill that I have. But it's like I could catch them one hand. It's just everything stuck to my, my hands, and I could just catch footballs. And I remember thinking, if a pro team were to just try me out, I bet they would want me as a receiver. Okay, this is a common thing in humanity where we sort of elevate our value, maybe a little more than we actually have. And we see a virtue and we just want other people to sort of esteem it. If they just gave me a try, they would know this. And so that was my weird thing is catching footballs. And uh, so I thought that, and I was a big Broncos fan, that if the Broncos ever gave me a tryout, you know, I I bet they could see something in me. And I I could just see him going, yeah, let's try this guy out. It'd be one of those great movie stories where this guy out of nowhere, you know, from Windsor gets brought into the Broncos and becomes a starting wide receiver. You know, Eric's imagination going wild. So guess what dream I have that night? I'd been thinking about this for years. I don't think I ever prayed about it because it didn't feel like a very spiritual prayer. Uh, And yet it was always in the back of my mind. And so I have this dream that Mike Shanahan, who was the coach of the Denver Broncos, calls me up. I'm like, what? Mike Shanahan? Yeah, Eric, I I just want to have you come in for a tryout uh, with the Broncos. Oh, and I, I mean, this is what I'd always dreamed of, a tryout for the Broncos. But here's my next thought. Out of all the times, like, when do you want me to come in? Like, in six months? Like, after I get in shape? No, like, today. What? I'm out of shape. I have not been exercising for the last six months. I do, I'm not on my game. And uh, I, so I show up at this, in my dream at the Broncos facility, and it was an absolute disaster. It's one of the most humiliating things I've ever gone through. I, you know those tires where you run through tires? It's like the classic football exercise. I was tripping over tires. I couldn't catch a ball. I was, even in the dream, I couldn't breathe. I was so out of shape and everyone else is running circles around me. And then I wake up and I was mad. Have you ever been mad when you wake up from a dream? I didn't know who I was mad at, but I was just mad. It's like, why would he call me up when I'm out of shape? What is this? I mean, just give me six months and I wouldn't have made a fool of myself. I could have made that team. And I even came into the, you know, the bathroom, I brushed my teeth and mad. Uh, and I awakened to it. I could see it. It's like God in his brilliant way showed me that he had something for me last night. He wanted me to participate in it and I wasn't ready. I don't care if I'd been praying three hours a day, if I had spent a good deal of my life exercising twice a day. What mattered is right then. Now, you could feel, you know, bad for me, but this is what I needed. I needed to recognize that every moment counts, that you can't just have a season and then fall off. You want to have oil, and it's better to not pray three hours a day and then drop off. It's better to pray 15 minutes a day consistently, probably, than to have your highs and then plummet to lows. I was off my game at the very moment God wanted me. I had an Oscar moment at like 1 a.m., and I didn't see it, and I blew it. And God's way of communicating that to me was have Mike Shanahan call me up during my dream and give me a parallel. I wasn't ready. I wasn't in shape. I've been in shape, but I wasn't in shape. 
the proving moment, the unexpected event that shows to the world what you really have inside you. I don't know that we really want to find out what we really have inside of us. You see, when you know what's going to be on a test, and when you are ready for the test, you're excited for the test. Some of us aren't really ready for our Oscar moment. We don't want an Oscar moment. God, delay my Oscar moment. You see, you want an Oscar moment when you're ready for an Oscar moment. The Oscar moment just doesn't always come packaged the way you thought it would. And that's why we oftentimes miss them. We have it laid out that, okay, I'm going to be sitting at the Academy Awards. Some comedian's going to make a comment about my wife, and now here's what I'm going to do. You see, if you can think it through like that, yeah, you could really come up with some good stuff. That isn't how it's going to work for you. In fact, that may never happen again in all of history for anyone. Could you imagine a comedian trying to pull that one off again? It's like, yeah, this is going to be sort of scary. So in other words, the way you're going to be tested and proven is going to be different. And you can't just live out a billion options to try and prepare for it. You need to allow the Spirit of God to groom you so that whatever happens, you will be ready for it no matter what color, shape, size it has and it comes in. Getting a PhD in Eric, you don't need to do this. I need to do it. You can put your own name in there. Now, that sounds like self-study and way way too much self-focus. And there's a certain dimension of self-focus, if you could say it, that is a terrible sounding uh, phrase, that is needed to be excellent in the Christian walk. You sort of have to know what you got dealt. What do I have here? What am I lugging around? What does the Spirit of God need to work through? What is the unique package of Eric Ludi? Because if I don't know that, uh, then I can trip. There are certain things about Eric which are really humorous, okay, if you have a good sense of humor. If you don't, then you might get very serious about it. And Eric is very sensitive to time. And you guys have heard the story, legendary stories from my missionary days. I was called PTM, perfectly timed man. I don't like being late. Now I have a daughter that doesn't like being late. It's like, poor thing. I know what you're feeling. It's in the genetic pool. But there are certain things that I need to know because I can over-dramatize certain things because of my weaknesses. I have inerrant oddnesses, oddities, there is probably a better word, and they may not be yours. However, I need to know them because they usually play into my Oscar moments. Let's just put it that way. It's funny how God sets up my Oscar moments to match with my oddities. Okay, so let me, this is a study on Eric Ludi. It's a fascinating study. Tardiness, oh, tardy. It really is hard for me. Any of you that have ever dealt with me arriving, if I'm going to be five minutes late, I'll usually text, I'm so sorry. I'm really, really, really sorry. I'm going to be five minutes late, right? It's, it's actually, it distracts me. It's, it's hard to me. Even for the first five minutes of the time I'm spending with you, I'm so sorry that I was late. And so you're like, what? Uh, why does he keep talking about that? Okay, that's an oddity maybe, right? It could be a good quality. It's a great quality. And some of you are like, I'm really glad he's sensitive to time. Yes, but it can also be a negative. Each one of these things can be leveraged because when my family is late, guess what? I can put getting somewhere on time above relationship with them and caring for them. And so whenever you have an oddity, it can sometimes consume your attentions more than what God's purposes are. Like for instance, Will Smith standing up for his wife. That's a good thing. However, you can stand up for your wife in a way that your wife may not even appreciate, right? 
And you could actually wonder in this situation if she really appreciates him standing up for it. It's, a, it's an interesting question because it's created all sorts of havoc. Parking. You may not have any issues with parking. I do. And I don't know why, but Leslie has noticed it from early on. That whenever I pull into, well, if I don't even know where we're going to park, it's something like, well, how, how's the parking going to work? That's what I'll ask. Like, okay, we're going to go up skiing. How's the parking work? She's like, I don't know. I need to figure out how the parking will work so I know how to come in where, I don't know why, but it really bothers me. Now I have this sprinter van. And when I'm in a sprinter van, parking is like amplified, okay? Everything is more challenging and there's nothing worse, okay, in the mind of Eric Ludi than to pull into a parking area and have there be exit, like there's no way out and then I'm stuck and someone comes in behind me. <gasps> ah! Okay, so if I have a PhD in Eric Ludi, that is about the worst circumstance I could ever get in. Start torturing me. Throw me in prison. I have grace for that. <laughs> but don't stick me in a parking lot in a sprinter van and then I'm blocked in. I, I, I don't have grace for that. I do have grace for that, but I very quickly turn to Eric eccentricity behavior. And that's where I need grace. I need to have a PhD in Eric Ludi so that I am not played. Uh, crowds? Strange. I, I don't know how this works, but uh, Leslie, I don't know if she's joking with me when she talks about this, but if she, if she were up here and giving illustrations, they're really funny. I, I find them funny. They're not always funny in the moment. Uh, but say we're at like a packed place, like say Disneyland, okay? And there's a lot of people coming through and I have this huge clan with me, right? And people are trying to get through, maybe in a stroller or whatever. And I, one of my kids is standing there, totally oblivious to the fact that someone needs to get through. I have such an empathy for that person in the stroller, no empathy for my kid. So Leslie's like, it's just yank the kid out of the way. Hey, move out of the way. You see, I am so sensitive to everyone out there that sometimes I lose the sensitivity to my own family. It's an oddity and an eccentricity that in that moment, it's an Oscar moment. It's like, Eric, perfect opportunity to show love for your child who has no clue that there is a stroller coming towards him. And so this is your moment to put more priority on your child than on someone you'll never see again, right? And it doesn't mean we show uh, a negligence or a disregard for the person in the stroller. That's good. These are all wonderful qualities that many of you could appreciate in Eric Lee. It's like, Eric really thinks about others. Yes, as long as I keep thinking about my family too in the process. Uh-oh, guys. Hotel hallways. I, it's, again, in the study of Eric, these are all very fascinating, humorous things. Our family is always, you know, we're traveling across the country in our sprinter van, right? Stressing about parking. And then we show up and it's always late. Okay, so everyone is sleeping in their hotel room and I have this gaggle with me making my way through. And my gaggle of, uh, you know, my family is very loud at times when they're not supposed to be loud. And I am so sensitized to the fact that there are people sleeping right now. You know, because I, I know what it's like when you, you know, someone's slamming their door and you know, going down the hallway. It's like, that's inappropriate. It's disrespectful. And so I'm walking down the hall. And I'm like, shh, shh, hey, shh, shh. And Leslie's way of saying that is, wow, if you had the same sensitivity for your kids as you do for these people that may not even be in the room, we would be off the charts amazing as a family, right? And it is interesting. It's, again, a PhD in Eric. 
how do I work? And whenever you have these things, these are Oscar moments. It's like the next time I get into a hotel hallway, it's like, all right, this is my opportunity. And that doesn't mean my kids should start singing at the top of their lungs. However, how can I love my family down that hall instead of just love the guy sleeping in his hotel bed? Overflowing toilets, you might as well stick grape juice stains right there with it. I don't know how to explain this, but overflowing toilets are probably the greatest stress in my life. I don't have any idea why, but something about it feels out of control. It feels like it's destroying everything. Remember, I've had a lot of floods in my house, okay? So this may be a trigger point for me, but we have some disturbingly funny stories over the years where Eric's in a perfectly great mood and then, the, then one of the kids says, the toilet is overflowing. And I tell you what, it's my Oscar moment and I'm slapping Chris Rock, okay? And it really, it really bothers me. And that's why when I see Will Smith stand up and do something right, and I, and I, I understand that people could be upset with that. I do get it. And it was on a public stage. But in a strange way, I identify with it. I don't do those types. They're not as extreme. I don't strike people in the face. And so I could easily justify myself, but I also know there are situations that catch me off guard and they trigger something in me which causes a reaction that may not in the big scheme of things be something you need to write home about, right? It's not that big of a deal. Eric, yeah, your attitude in the hallway stunk. All right, kids, will you forgive me for that? Yeah, it doesn't affect that many people. But what if I start by tending to those moments in my life and allowing the grace of God to transform them. Last time we went to Orlando, Leslie on the way decided that we were gonna proactively lay a foundation for all the bait points we have on trips. And we're going to actually proactively go into Orlando, aware that overflowing toilets can cause a problem, aware that parking with this big beast uh, can create problems. And you know what? It was a tremendous trip. I still had my moments, you know, where I was like, here it is, here it is. But I was like alert, even as the parking moment was happening. It's like, okay, all right, it's happening. All right, okay, I know what to do. Lord, I need grace right now. I see a car pulling in behind me. I need the grace now. My latest Oscar moment. So what's really... <laughs> I don't know if humorous is the right word because it wasn't very humorous to me at the time. But this is Friday. I just had finished up this message and I'm talking about Oscar moments. I mean, what? How ironic can you get? And then one of our kids spills grape juice on the carpet. Okay, now I haven't told you about what my response is to grape juice. I just talked about overflowing toilets. But let's just suffice to say that grape juice on the carpet is a similar sensation inside of me. I have no idea why. It's not that big of a deal. And I can see that in, you know, in the big picture, you know, if someone were to sit logically and say, what is better, to love your family well in and through a crisis or to get stressed out about grape juice in a carpet that you could just replace? I mean, it's, it's really not that big of a deal. Friday, I literally am running around going, we need a vacuum. Do we have that wet vac? Where is it? And I'm, I'm going around to try and clean up grape juice. And what do you think? It's like a Mike Shanahan moment. Believe me, okay? In my mind, I'm, I'm realizing you can even put together a message and declare the truth and still not have oil. 
And so the sensitivity to this message in me is very, very high, considering even on Friday, my response to grape juice on the carpet. What is the, what are the odds that it would be grape juice on the carpet, right? But for me, it was an Oscar moment. And my kids got to witness a grand drama. And I don't know that they would have given me an Academy Award for it. I would like to say it was all an act. Just testing you. Just wanted to see you because listen to my sermon on Sunday. You'll enjoy this, the irony of it. But I had to sit down with my family, walk through this uh, afresh, which is really good for me. There's two different ways you can look at the Garden of, e- of Garden of Eden, Garden of Gethsemane. You have two, we have multiple characters there, right? Peter, James, and John. But you have Peter and how he's going to handle the garden and you have Jesus. Both of them are going to handle the garden very differently. One is, of course, going to handle it perfectly, which is why we should take note. What is Jesus doing? He's alert, he's awake, and he's laying down his life. He's sensitive to what the Father is doing. Not my will, but thine. Now, of course, you could say, well, that's Jesus. Yeah, who lives inside of you. In other words, we have access to the Jesus behavior, to the Jesus grace in the trial, in that moment that causes some to fall asleep and some to cut off ears. Happens to be the same guy, right? But we all can both, we can both, we can recognize both in our life, falling asleep when we're supposed to be wide awake and doing nothing, and then overreacting and doing something that isn't right. Non-reaction versus holy reaction versus overreaction. You see, some of us struggle with non-reaction. We don't do anything. And that needs to be touched by the Spirit of God. To be a passive bystander to the evil that is taking place in our world is not right. There needs to be an action in our soul. However, as much as we can applaud Will Smith for standing up for his wife, we can't applaud him for functioning in agreement with the flesh in doing so. And that's what we could call an overreaction. An overreaction is something that many of us in here are familiar with as well. And I don't know if we could divide evenly of those that fall asleep and those that overreact, and those that don't react, and those that react and do what they think is a righteous thing, but they do it in an unrighteous way. Or if we're all all of those. In other words, we're all both of them. In certain aspects of my life, I would say I underreact. And sometimes in evangelism, I would say the conviction of my soul is not overreaction where I'm I'm banging someone in the head with a a Bible saying, repent or you're just going to go to hell. Hey, I love you enough to at least yell at you right now and tell you that you stink. See, I don't do that. I don't evangelize in the flesh, right? But I can oftentimes be silent in the moment I should speak. What I want is a holy reaction to a need around me. I want the Spirit of God to move me to action in each of these situations, but I want it to be a governed, controlled action. I want to actually deliver the goods of the gospel and and reveal the glory of Christ in and through my response. Oscar moments. Listen to this line. They arrive when you least expect them sort of like a thief in the night. They don't announce that they're coming. They just show up. In fact, I can almost bet that each of us has one this week, maybe even today. And these are the moments that prove, first of all, they can be very encouraging. If you've ever had an Oscar moment, which I've had these, I know I'm making myself look like a bumbling idiot 
today, but I also know what it's like to have the grace of God and to be constrained by God. And I've even had hotel hallways that I've handled well, and I've had parking situations that I've handled well. And whether or not I've ever had grape juice or overflowing toilets that I've handled well yet, I still have a dream. (laughs) But the point is, I know what it's like to have grace for these things and these moments in my life. And I've had, what's funny is we're talking about such small things here. And I told my kids on, uh, whether that was Friday or Saturday, that we sat down and talked about this. I said, I have witnessed in my life such extreme grace for extreme circumstances. And I have had circumstances would cause many people to just collapse because of the weight uh, that is upon them. And I have risen up with joy and even laughter in my soul and triumph. I've, I've seen it in my life. So that's why it's so ridiculous about some of these, like grape juice on a carpet. Who cares? In the whole schematic of eternity, this is rather pathetic, Eric. And you'd be right. And yet, I need grace for small things. And so for me, you may say, I need grace for bigger things. I do really good with the grape juice. I don't do well when life circumstances, when I go through suffering, when I go through health challenges, that's when I fall to pieces. That's like my moment. I thrive during COVID-19. It's like, oh, I'm built for this. But am I built for grape juice on the carpet? Am I built for overflowing toilets? And am I built for a crowd at Disneyland? Because I'm supposed to be dexterous as a believer to access and to acquire the grace in all these circumstances. So whether you're like me and you need it for the small things that sometimes you can be like, oh, that doesn't matter. Or you need it for the bigger things. It's the same grace. I may be really good at acquiring it for big things, but I'm not maybe as good in acquiring it for the smaller things that seem so ridiculous. And yet a great believer learns how to do both. The recipe for spiritual readiness. Number one, sharpness. Number two, clearness. Number three, dependence. Number four, watchfulness. Sharpness, like a pencil. We can grow dull in our spiritual life. What creates sharpness? Consistencies. Time in his presence. I could be around my wife, but not necessarily have a close relationship with my wife. Being around spiritual things, you could hang out and watch Pilgrim, you know, the Pilgrim musical, you know, every night that it's here. That doesn't mean you're cultivating your own relationship with Christ. Esteeming it is different then what happens when the Spirit of God activates these very things inside of you, where you have a prayer life, where you begin to pursue the Scriptures, and that's what sharpens us. And we need to be sharp to be excellent for readiness. Clearness. If you have something in your soul that the Spirit of God is touching, maybe it's something you need to be, make right. Maybe it's something you did wrong and you need to seek forgiveness for it. Maybe it's something in your soul you need to say no to because you've been opening your life up to it. When the Spirit of God convicts you, the way to have clearness is to agree with Him and to act upon that. So if you should seek forgiveness, seek forgiveness. Humble yourself. When you do that, it clears your soul and you're you're available to God for those moments. Dependence. You see, in those moments, you need to remember that you can't do it right. And that's one thing I think I know really well. It doesn't mean I always remember it in the moment, because sometimes it's still like, Eric, you can do this, but I can't do it. I'm dependent upon the Holy Spirit to actually produce spiritual fruit. Watchfulness. You're just always ready. 
A good castle always has someone watching. A good life always has someone watching. When you're in that chair at the Academy Awards, you recognize you're on a mission. You recognize you're here on purpose. God, why am I here? God, how can I use this moment in my life? Whether I, you know, Chris Rock says something offensive or not means nothing. He doesn't know what's going to happen. But when you're in that seat, in that moment, you want to be watchful over your soul. And so you could have three of these, but if you're missing one, it could disturb the whole mix. And that's usually what's happening for some of us. Like we let down our guard in this situation. We weren't watching. I've been in situations where I'm living strong with Christ, but I'm in an environment and I'm not available to God in that situation. So there could be a soul in need, but I'm focused on writing a sermon about souls in need. It's happened. It's disturbing that it happens, but isn't that ironic? I could be writing a sermon, a great sermon, about reaching souls and not be aware that there's a soul right there in the next table over to just say, God, I'm available to you. And so for each of us, it's just a sensitivity, a fresh sensitivity. It's not supposed to be a weighty message where you, uh, you, you come away with a condemnation that your life stinks. It's to say, all of us are going to fail in this, but we all have access to that which enables us to succeed. So let's go after that. Let's say, Lord Jesus, I want sharpness, I want clearness, I want dependence, and I want to be watchful. Ephesians 6, 10 through 11. Finally, it's a great way to finish the sermon too. Finally, my brethren, be strong. Not in your own gumption. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And I could finish with, and succeed in all your Oscar moments. The great secret of the Christian life is not you doing it. It's God doing it in and through you. But you participate in that. God's strength is the great secret to the world changing. But the way that God has chosen to reveal that strength is through us, though we are frail, fragile, and very vulnerable to bungling our gospel moments. He still says, yeah, but I want to use you. So even if you have blown every Oscar moment up until this point, there's an Oscar moment right around the corner where you can go into a different direction. There's a spill of grape juice in an overflowing toilet just about to happen in your life, and it's the perfect opportunity to reveal Jesus. Father, we need you. Without you, we can't do this. We can't reveal the kingdom of heaven. We are fragile and full of fault. And we are vulnerable to slapping Chris Rock instead of loving him well. Lord, I pray that we would today be built, sharpened, clear with you to be able to handle our next Oscar moment well. Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.